Welcome to the IP Physics Buzz, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. I'm Ed Orley. And I'm Scott Hogue. On the show, we discuss all things IPv6, strategy, design, deployment, and operations. And I'm Tom Coffeen. We've spent 20 plus years working with the IPv6 protocol. We run a consulting firm where we get IPv6 working for our customers. And we're here to share some lessons learned on how to avoid common mistakes. We're glad you joined us today. We're going to be talking about whether we are stuck with dual stack as a as a solution forever and ever, or if we think there's enough of the internet that will actually move to IPv6 only or IPv6 mostly that we can uh, avoid the stuck in dual stack forever. So I don't know. What do you guys think? What it's? I guess we should talk about what the state of, of things are today in regards to maybe dual stack or or even start with what dual stack is just to make sure that everyone's on the same page. So why don't we cover what dual stack actually is? Yeah, I think one of the nice things about the dual stack transition method is that it's very easy. It's a, it's a two-step method. You are running IPv4 today, you add IPv6, and then eventually you take away IPv4 and you're left with IPv6, which is the ultimate goal is to make this transition from V4 to V6. And dual stack allows for a simple, seamless way to you know, add IPv6 and take away IPv4 at the pace that makes sense for your organization. When you're in the dual stack phase, nodes that run both protocols have the greatest opportunity to speak to any other device in the network. Right. It, it makes it kind of smooth and, and seamless uh, as you go through different stages, eventually ending up at V6 only. Right. It's not, it's not quite a good analogy because, you know, it's, it's your chocolate with my peanut butter, but um, <laughs> yeah, I like both. I like running both <laughs> protocols at the same time. <laughs> but, but eventually one has to go away. So unfortunately you'll only be left with peanut butter or only left with chocolate, I guess, depending on which one you tie with which way, but. <laughs> I prefer the uh, training wheels analogy. So Training wheels. Yeah, IPv, IPv6, you know, you got your uh, dual stack as your IPv6 training wheels. And then, you know, they, they come off at some point and you're free to tear around on your two-wheeled bicycle, which is you know, you end only. Up at the end, you end up with a unicycle. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. It's unfortunate because it's a, it's a square and not a circle, but <laughs> yeah, I, let's talk, I guess we'll shift gears and talk about the state of things today, which is, I think, important for people to understand, like where are things at right now? Um, and I would say for the internet in general, there's quite a bit of uh, a spread between much more IPv4 versus IPv6. But then there are there are regions of the world, and India is a good example. I think India is above 60% IPv6 adoption. So they actually have, have swung the other direction. And you would probably want to start with IPv6 if you were in that market versus starting with IPv4. So I think there's a range of where where things uh, sort of sit and depending on what geography and what's going on in your country and adoption and, and things of that nature. And that's probably why dual stack is, I guess, so popular is that you're able to talk to both people obviously know IPv4, so they're comfortable with it. Adding IPv6, if something doesn't work, you can still fall back to IPv4. So it feels like a safety net too, maybe those are good, good things. And the, the state of things is probably that most folks are at dual stack because that's just like they've only reached that comfort level and that's really sort of where they're at if they're there at all uh, yeah and i think you have to uh talk a little bit about you know the, the various sectors of of you know networking that we're sort of talking about the business network businesses that you know are cons like sort of consuming network services versus 
selling network services. Yeah. You know, because then, I mean, if you really, if you, if you think about service provider, the boat that they're in where it's, it's not really for them, the economics of, of being a service provider sort of demand that, that, that they figure out a path to IPv6 in order to have enough address resources to continue to run the network profitably, or, you know, at least reasonably profitably. Um, and that's very different than an enterprise environment where you're sort of consuming network services and then, you know, and, and then, and then of course, that's the, the historical difference between service provider and enterprise and uh, with IPv6 adoption. And you, you know, you, you have some effort to move towards IPv6 only in the enterprise space because of federal mandates. Um, but in general, if you're, you know, a private corporate enterprise that's running a network, uh, it, it's very unlikely that you've made significant progress towards this sort of IPv6 only or even IPv6 mostly configuration internally. Uh, and so is it worth sort of making that distinction uh, to, to try to answer that question? Are we stuck with dual stack? I mean, if, if you're not selling V6, if you're not selling network services, then the, the economic need for V6 may be the, the case for that becomes much more diffuse. And then is that, is that really what's behind the fact that it's, it's just taking so long to get enterprises to adopt IPv6? Yeah, I think there's a bit of a fear factor too, right? Of why am I changing up over all my resources when things work just fine today, right? Right, right. And when you're in a risk reduction mode, which is probably what most IT and enterprise organizations are in, Introducing that uncertainty is not super desirable. Maybe at the internet edge where we need yeah. to talk to resources, we can build transition technologies there and 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 we can take baby steps that might make sense for them. In which case they're they're probably gonna be, you know, doing dual stack for a long period of time. And I'll be honest, for most organizations, they will they will have a portion of their network that's always dual stack just because for support reasons you want to have that in there. You may be an IPv6 only shop, but you're still going to have a portion that's dual stack just so you can talk to v4 resources, right? By definition. Um, so you'll have a small portion that's always dual stacked anyway. But I think the argument around how long we're going to take to get there, I think really has to do with, you know, the viability for supporting IPv4 over the long haul and how expensive that is. And that's questionable about how much that costs for smaller organizations versus very large ones. Very large ones, it's an expensive proposition to continue supporting V4. For smaller organizations, it really isn't that bad, right? Um, and, and so their pain threshold isn't particularly high. They'll take the V6 if it's given to them, but they probably won't give up their V4 or, or see a reason to give up their V4 unless it gets insanely expensive. That's at least my sort of gut feeling around it. I don't know if you guys see that differently. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I guess I guess the real question for me is, you know, are is there a path to IPv6 only? Uh, is that path even feasible today for, say, for the the standard corporate enterprise network? And you know, I'm thinking more medium to large size. If you're, if you're smaller, mm -hmm. maybe you know, it's you're more flexible theoretically. But but can we talk about uh, IPv6 only as as an actual thing? Uh, for the corporate enterprise, or are there still too many, uh, you know, impediments just based on certain, you know, operating system support or operating system behavior, or, uh, you know, I mean, I think we know that the the support is there on the on the network platform side, and and maybe to the same extent with security products and, and middle boxes and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, when it when when it really comes down to it, you know, with the enterprise, the standard consumer of network services within the enterprise is is it baked enough from an, from an ipv6 only standpoint that we can say 
you know, you, you could get there today if you were, you know, determined and, and you could, you felt like you could manage the risks, uh, you know, that, that you're using dual stack to sort of assuage. I think there's still quite a bit of IPV or dependency in IT products. And there's also IPv4 dependencies that exist externally, like maybe organizations externally that your end users need to get to. Those companies run authoritative name servers that are only accessible over IPv4. So you may do a good, you know, your organization may do a good job trying to move to IPv6 mostly but there's still external dependencies, or maybe you rely upon a SaaS provider that only has IPv4. So you always have to have those transition mechanisms or translation or something like that. So you're still running IPv4 somewhere. Also, if you have a website, you want it accessed by the broadest internet population. Right. And no one's gonna, and you have to still enable it to be accessed over IPv4 for the foreseeable future until everyone turns off IPv4. Then you can turn off IPv4 on your popular website, but that's going to be a while. Yeah, that'll be that'll be quite a bit of time. Or you might have the old school mm -hmm. alternative IPv4 version of your site for some given reason, if it really needs to be separate that way. But I... I... I, I tend to agree with both of you that it's going to be a, I, I do think it's, it's different for the biggest of the big, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a very large enterprise organization, getting IPv6 only might actually be strategically advantageous for you just because you have so many structural problems or issues with IPv4, yeah. right? And you might want to, you may still run dual stack. You might run IPv4 as a service over the top of your IPv6 network to give V4 services to Mm -hmm. portions of your network that might need it that have, as scott outlined are you know v4 dependent in some fashion but realistically you want to get to v6 only mm -hmm. i don't know if that really classifies as a v6 mostly maybe it does um sort of design architecture where you no longer have those constraint limitations and, and the new devices that you're bringing on the network are v6 only because you just don't have address limitations you don't have that you know the suckiness of the fact that you have to, you know, in dual stack, you still have to assign IP for four addresses for everything, right? That's a yeah. real problem. Yeah. I'd say for the last, I'd say 10 years, we were encouraging organizations, if you were deploying a new system, deploy it with V4 and V6. So you wouldn't have to come back later and add IPv6 to it as an afterthought or as a separate project. Just make it dual stack right from the beginning. But now I think... We're entering a period where if you're going to deploy a greenfield environment, try to do it V6 only because that'll save you OpEx costs. It'll save you from having to go get a public V4 address space or even scarce private IPv4 address space. Attempt to try to do it in an IPv6 only way to save headaches further down the road yeah, it's less work later. You don't have to remove IPv4 and, and try and figure out all the dependencies that that may have had. Work those out in your proof of concept for your net new deployment. Mm -hmm. Make sure you can operate. And if you can operate correctly, you just stay on IPv6 only. You And like we previously mentioned, just you, you might run IPv4 as a service over the top for mm -hmm. a given thing, or you might tunnel it to a, a particular endpoint that might need it, right? Mm -hmm. So you can totally do that still. That's not something that's off the table to address maybe some some narrow IPv4 dependency requirements that you might yeah. have. 
Yeah, because just last week we learned of a new company trying to build a new network and they got a large allocation from the regional internet registry, but they had to go buy public V4 address resources because they're starting a new thing, a new service. Right. <laughs> yep. And in, in 2024, they had to go buy public V4 addresses. Yeah. <laughs> and, and whether or not uh, the, the risk, you know, like they identify the, the risk of V6 and whether or not that's actually based on, you know, the level of support in the platforms that they're trying to deploy or the overall architecture and how much of it rather is just a function of FUD where they just don't know whether it's feasible and they don't want to find out with a pilot project um, where, you know, they, they determine that there might be gaps that are, you know, impacting performance or impacting overall functionality. So the, the idea then, if there's an opportunity for a gr like some portion of the network, as you just mentioned, that's Greenfield, you know, a data center environment or, you know, a, a, a part of the, the overall wireless LAN, like the guest network, that sort of thing, to have the opportunity to deploy IPv6 only and to remove like the FUD as the, the cause of the, you know, the, the risk assessment being like very high related to IPv6 only simply because there's just not operational experience with it. Yeah. I think the places where you could possibly use IPv6 only is where you have tight control over the network configuration, the end nodes and software being run, uh, maybe a data center environment where everything is very new, servers are on the same environment, applications are web-based, you know, and or container environment where everything is the same and uniform and modern yeah. and you don't have the, any legacy and you have automation and you have mm -hmm. and you and you and, you, and you're probably very very current in those environments versus if you're dealing with maybe an end client wireless network that has really ancient stuff that's connected to it for any given reason right mm -hmm. you just have a lot more variability in in those particular environments versus maybe yeah. a, a well-known sort of data center fixed data center um, yeah. Or, or storage network or, you know, whatever sort of unique, but, but very fixed sort of environment that, yeah. that you'd be dealing with, including, in, including cloud. I mean, you can, you can certainly look mm -hmm. at cloud in, in, in some ways in the same, in the same way. Although I think all the cloud providers are really looking at dual stack as their, as their, uh, you know, sort of go forward with given where, given where their customers are at, they themselves yeah. may be doing V6 only, but in terms of what they're providing services to their customers, they're providing dual stack because that's the most flexible in terms of giving them options in both in both protocols, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like an out of band management network where you have a lot of uniformity of yes. devices. It's a private environment. You have complete control over it. And you know the protocols being used. You know web APIs, SSH, you know NetComp, SNMP, NetFlow, telemetry data. You know. Yeah, the list no is short and V six only. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the list is short and well understood, right? Mm -hmm. That's I think that's the big advantage that you get out of those. And you can always fall back to your in band V four network to manage your out of band V six network. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Hearsay, hearsay. <laughs> yeah, but I think where you have a lot of uh, a variety and a, a variety of different types of software. And host OSs, and you lack control, yeah, then you could have software that still requires V4. And because of that, 
You just need one application that still relies upon IPv4 that then makes that whole network need to hang on to IPv4. Which means you're stuck on dual stack. That's sort of where the question comes from, Mm -hmm. is is are we stuck on it forever? And I guess it's just partially depends on how quickly we can migrate these older systems that Mm -hmm. have v4 dependencies off the network is that a thing Mm -hmm. is that an effort that's going on i would say that's really hard in some industries there are some industries that just like have equipment that's just around that's been around for like forever and Mm -hmm. you know either isn't getting replaced uh it doesn't have a new solution that does the thing that that thing did before like there's Mm -hmm. there's real world problems problems yeah. that people are dealing with yeah, how that. much of that requires access to the network that requires a dual stack configuration versus you know what you talked about earlier briefly that can be front-ended with uh you know as a server load balancer or an application layer gateway yeah. or something that you know creates a pocket of ipv4 that's really not the same thing as dual stack right yeah it's a it's a dual it's building little dual stack islands that are sort of interconnected with you know ipv4 as a service right where you're Mm -hmm. sort of allowing those devices to connect each other and then if to get to the outside world some sort of you know application delivery controller that proxies their session out to the outside world so they feel like they're connected but (laughs) right right. realistically realistically they just live in the matrix and that's it (laughs) yeah and yeah when you say that i think you know industrial manufacturing facilities building management systems healthcare systems that tend to be dated in that way or have embedded systems that would only run ipv4 embedded into a piece of machinery right and and there's just maybe the manufacturer went out of business like Mm. that thing doesn't exist anymore there's no way for them to update the code even if they wanted to right and they don't have access to it because it was a private solution it wasn't a open source, you know, product of any type that they could, they could somehow upgrade on their own. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're just stuck in a corner. And so you have to go isolate that device um, for that purpose, which is, you know, I guess, I guess I would consider that like an IPv6 mostly, like you're doing all the right things to get to V6 and you're, you're dealing with small, narrow use case scenarios of IPv4 being used in, in small pockets or islands. Uh, around your network in order to be able to, uh, you know, address those need requirements until they're able to find a new solution. Yeah, I think, I think many organizations just avoid finding a new solution that is modern or current because, you know, hey, no business wants to spend more money than they have to in terms of those operational costs, right? Yeah. So if it's working, they're sort of like, why can't I get more life cycle or more lifespan out of the thing that I'm already using that already works? And why are you telling me that I have to go find a new solution just because this networking protocol is got to change out, right? And they'll be like, yeah, no. Well, so I think that's, that's the yeah. tension. That's yeah, you the can't, tension. you can, you can pry, you only get to take away my Fox Pro, Fox based database when you can pry it from my cold dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess this brings us to the next thing, which is what what is the tipping point that that causes everyone to sort of go like, hey, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I am going to give this up. Uh, you don't have to pry it out of my my cold dead hands. Uh, like I'm going to I'm going to hand it over and I want to switch because because it makes more sense or this is better for me or. Is there a price incentive? Is there a a vent or something else? Yeah, well, maybe from the vendor perspective, like asking the question, are we stuck with dual stack forever? I think some of the vendors might be assiduously answering, I sure hope not, because uh, we'd like to get IPv4 out of the stack at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, Having to manage, you know, two protocols within a particular device and, and all of the cost associated with that. I mean, uh, if, if that could go away and then, uh, uh, 
that would be an incentive, a price incentive that's passed on to the consumers of that, that equipment. It's like, well, you know, if you want V4 support, maybe it costs a premium. I mean, we've been talking about the possibility of this for a long time. And I think maybe some manifestations of it have shown up on network services in the, in the cloud as an example. Um, but it's, it's not, it hasn't reached a, a sort of tipping point where the, you know, the vendors are basically saying, look, we don't want to run dual stack anymore in our devices. We would prefer to have, you know, one protocol stack to manage and maintain, and that should be IPv6 because that's the direction everything is headed. And if you want V4 and you want continued support for V4, it's going to cost a premium and at some point becomes, you know, end of life, end of support. So I don't know. That's, yeah. again, we've been talking about that possibility for years, but I don't think that it's arrived in any big way, but that would certainly be something that would affect that question of, are we stuck with dual stack? Yeah. You see the IPv4 tax showing up and yeah. you know, announcements in AWS's pricing models and, you know, cloud providers charging for IPv4 connectivity or, yeah. or a internet broadband internet access server service charging for a static V4 address for the purposes of building some VPN or something and you require a static address. So you have to pay a premium to get that. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge this. Those are real, but the reality is, is that for most people, because it's distributed over such a large number of people, mm -hmm. that 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 even on the AWS side, AWS is going to make a you know a billion dollars extra a year mm -hmm. for charging for the V4 address. But when you break it down on a per customer basis, even for large customers that are using a ton of public IPv4 address space mm -hmm. and have it in queue, their costs relative to just not running a workload longer. Mm -hmm. It, it's it's not even in the same category, right? You can right. make so much bigger cost savings by just optimizing your, you know, your elastic compute, right? And it's like, so it's there and I definitely want to acknowledge it, but at the same time, I'm like, does it move the needle? I'm, I have mixed feelings. It moves the needle for Amazon in terms of how many dollars flow down to them. Yeah. Like, like so, you know, a, a good clap for them in terms of like how much revenue they're bringing in. Uh, but what's interesting for them is that they're just catching up with what everyone else was already charging for. GCP and 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 Azure were already charging for those resources. So it's sort of like, you know, okay, that's just revenue they shot. Probably should have been realized, and we're just getting yelled at about it. Um, yeah, I do you'd think be better off deleting a hundred thousand unused snapshots of hard drives, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Clean up your S3 buckets, ten thousand unused images in storage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of other things that I think impact that. And I, I, so I just, I don't want to downplay it, but at the same time, I don't want to give it too much credence in terms of, in terms of where it fits. I do think in terms of where impact could be is, is in net new markets. So this is just me sort of looking at it going like, what's the cost to enter into net new market for the cost of providing more and more and more V4 or What's the cost of giving into getting into a given market when they don't have V4 available, which is like India, like mm -hmm. emerging markets where it's like, it doesn't make sense. And if you want to address their market, you need to have a V6 solution and it should be what you're leading with first. You may still have IPv4 in the product solution to Tom's point, like it's going to take a while for that stuff to go away, but you're going to see more and more services that are going to be like, yes, we support V6 because that's where the market is going and we, we don't really have a choice. Mm -hmm. Does that leave us on dual stack forever? I don't think it does, but I think the tail is very, very long in terms mm -hmm. of how long this is going to take to get there. And I think it's going to be very lumpy and different depending on what your organization does and what you do on the internet. I I, I think that's that's the biggest 
thing to me is there's going to be a whole set of organizations that won't bother dual stacking or doing v6 only and we've had guests on before that are running data centers that are like yeah everything i run on my data center is v6 only i i provide v4 as a service over the top and i charge more for it, right mm -hmm. and 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 that you i think you'll see more and more of those sorts of organizations start popping up because v6 is just a effectively an unlimited resource for for these organizations to use mm -hmm. so you want to take advantage of that you know strategically for the structure of your business and how you operate and what you look like, right? You don't want to have that constraint, artificial constraint built on you. But at the same time, you might have older customers that continue to need V4. So you're very um, careful, I guess, about how you provide V4 services. And then you also charge for them accordingly because of the fact that it's just a more scarce resource overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what slowly gets you off of dual stack, or maybe you do V6 only, but then you, you, I don't know if I really call it v dual stack if you're providing IPv4 as a service over the top. Like I sort of don't feel like that's dual stack because you're not really dual stacking in that classic fashion. Um, I don't know what we call that. <laughs> Something different, right? Um, I guess it technically is just IPv4 as a service um, that's running on top of your IPv6 only network, right? Yeah. So are you saying we're more willing to live with IPv4 as a service, which, you know, might you could squint and call it dual stack, but we're going to say we've improved things by <laughs> relabeling it. Yeah. I don't know if it's a relabel. I, I don't know if it's something just different altogether. I don't, I certainly don't feel like that matches with how the ITF is trying to describe IPv6 mostly. Um, Cause I feel, I feel like that's a different transition sort of. Component. Yeah, fair enough. And I guess from a technical mm -hmm. perspective, if there's encapsulation involved, then I don't know which, uh, you know, which, the uh, header gets the get, you know gets the 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 victory of being called that thing you know it's like the, right. did, I look, did I look at the IPv4 header last then it's IPv4 did I look at the IPv6 yeah, header six last, last yeah but my feeling with dual stack is that you know you get to choose which you know language you get to speak uh, yeah. versus yeah. someone else encapsulating around what you're doing and then you know you're you're traversing over yeah it. completely but that's when you say IPv4 as a service that's that's what I'm thinking of uh, right yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Well, I mean, that's, I, I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have because I don't think there's, I, I don't think there's any consensus in the industry in regards to sort of where we're at and, and where we think things are going to land. Right. I, I, th I think we're all sort of, you know, um, trying to get a sense of, of, of the direction that, that, that folks in the industry are, what they're doing and what, you know, fortune in, you know, fortune 500 organizations are doing versus federal government versus, state and local organizations versus commercial and small business. Like, I think there's a pretty big spectrum of the adoption cycle and everyone's curve is going to look a little different based off of what their internal need requirements are and what they can achieve. I think smaller organizations are just, just going to take what service providers push to them. I don't think they're going to change until that actually happens to them. And dual stack is where that's at currently today, you know, for home residential, for smaller business that, you know, get connectivity directly from, you know, a Comcast or a Spectrum or whoever, whoever they're utilizing, right? That's, I think that's the default standard that they're going to see for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I guess this gets down to, you know, do we have any advice to actually give our listeners <laughs> around this? My, my conclusion is, is that we're not going to be stuck on dual stack forever, but it's going to be a long time depending on what organization you're in, or it could be much quicker if you're in one of the lucky few that really just need to get onto V6 quickly. That's, that's my end thought. Yeah, I'd say, I guess, just recognize that there's this tipping point that 
when you use dual stack that, you know, happy eyeballs might kick in and might prefer V6 potentially if it has equivalent, you know, performance with V4. And so you could start to see more connections being made over V6 and less being made over IPv4, you know, and for every connection that takes place over IPv6, there was one less connection over IPv4. And so you can have that that tipping point effect. And for some organizations and places on the internet, we, we see that tipping point starting to take place where they're now V6 is the majority of their traffic and V4 is in the minority. We're seeing that in places who have been aggressive about deploying IPv6. And so we see that places are starting to have, you know, peak in the amount of, of IPv4 traffic, where now IPv6 is exceeding the amount of V4 traffic in certain places. So mm -hmm. we're seeing that. So those organizations that have been more aggressive about IPv6 may actually see light at the end of the tunnel. For those organizations that are in the late majority, haven't even started on IPv6, that seems really far away to get to V6 only because they haven't even started their dual stack journey yet. Yeah, and I would say for enterprise deployers of, of IPv6, you know, the the if the if the risk management exercise is really about sort of the FUD of IPv6 only, you know, I did ask the question earlier. It's like, do we feel like IPv6 only is baked enough? I mean, it, it depends on the environment, but I think it's certainly baked enough that there's opportunities to deploy IPv6 only in parts of the network and to really, you know, put to bed the 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 risk management that is coming from just uncertainty around operating IPv6 only. Uh, certainly around whether or not the vendor supports it and and whether or not it's something that you can you feasibly deploy and and be successful with so so yeah my advice would be to to definitely take look for those opportunities where ipv6 only can be deployed and you know overcome that uh, that uncertainty that that's feeding into the risk management exercise of you know well we can't do v6 only we can't you know and we can't retire dual stack because of uh, the risks associated with it yeah do that analysis do that assessment validated in a lab, then you know where you stand mm -hmm. and you have data rather than just not knowing or not testing or not confirming. And, and staying on dual stack, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I know we had some older phrases in the community overall talking about some good guidelines, rules of the road, <laughs> as it <laughs> would be. <laughs> And, and Scott, we used to we used to laugh about this because we I, I think I, I can't remember who first came up with was it Shannon was it Shannon McFarland who first came up with with a bunch of these about you know you know about tunneling and transition and everything else this yeah. of phrases I think yeah. I think it was Shannon right yeah I wrote an article in two thousand seven you know dual stack where you can tunnel where you must kind of right. hearkening back to the old. Uh, network design, you know, uh, switch where you can, route where you must, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know who coined that term way back when, but now we're kind of moving into V6 only where you can, dual stack where you must, you know, and, and try that, you know, like Tom is saying, attempt IPv6 only or IPv6 mostly, see where you are at, see where you have those V4 dependencies. You can always fall back to dual stack if that's required in the near term. Right. So there you go, folks. IPv6 only where you can, dual stack where you must. This is this is the guidance. <laughs> well, it was great talking with everyone about, uh, you know, if we think we're stuck with dual stack forever.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of IPv6 Buzz. If you've got feedback or a follow-up on this topic, send us a message at packetpushers.net slash FU. We'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. Also, on packetpushers.net, you'll find a range of deep-dive technical podcasts for IT pros, including Heavy Networking, Heavy Wireless, and Day2 Cloud. There's a whole lot more on the Packet Pushers site as well, such as tutorial videos and a networking job board to help you find or fill your next great role. So whether you're deep in your career or just starting up, Packet Pushers is the place to go to grow both your skills and your personal network. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the IPv6 internet. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.